Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome to First Day. It is a joy to have you in the house of the Lord today, and I commend you for getting out of your warm cocoons there in your home and on this nice, cool morning and coming here. Being here in person, because in person is incredible for sure. We are fast approaching the holy days season. A great time of the year to take a step back and just be grateful to God for how good he's been to us. Hasn't God been good to us? He has been so good. Let's give him praise. Praise God. In fact, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's just say hallelujah real loud, okay? One, two, three. Hallelujah. He's been so good. Another way to take a fresh look at what God has done for us is to just think about the life of Christ. He really is my favorite thing to do is to go through the Gospels. And so for your benefit and maybe for my own joy, <laughs> uh, we have a chosen a series called From the Cradle to the Crown. This is our second installment. Today's uh, message is entitled An Unbelievable Reveal. Now, people are going way over the top with their gender, gender reveal parties these days. It wasn't the kind of a social gathering you'd see every day as family and friends watched from a safe distance with their phones all in tow. A man in the yard took a stick and put it up to an alligator. And after a few failed attempts, he wedges the balloon in the alligator's jaws the gator chomps down, the balloon splits open, and pink powder everywhere. Yay, everybody erupts. It's going to be a girl. I'll tell you what, you talk about reveal parties, that's the craziest I've heard of. But you know, back in the day, we didn't even know what gender our baby would be. We just got surprised like everybody else. And then couples, you know, now, in the early days, they would maybe have a little cake that was blue or cake that was pink. But these days with social media, gender reveals are getting more common and creative. They're over the top. Bath bombs and smoke balloons and even gender scratch cards now. You know, when God the Father chose to reveal the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, it wasn't a gator or it wasn't a smoke bomb, but trust me, it was spectacular, an unbelievable moment in history. And he chose a very unique person by the name of John, and they put a little epitaph on it, John the Baptizer, to reveal this amazing birth. In fact, John the Baptizer was such an amazing man that the book of Matthew states in chapter 11, verse 11, verily I say unto you, that among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. You talk to somebody whose name is John, just say, did you know you are the greatest man born of woman? 
Well, that's what the Bible said about John the baptizer. And if there was ever a book in the Bible with this great reveal news about a birth, it would affect everybody. The book of Luke is that book. In fact, in the book of Luke, the key message found in chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come. Hallelujah. I am glad the Son of Man has come. If he hadn't come, where would we be? He came, not just to come, but he came to seek. Thank God he is a seeker. If he wasn't a seeker, none of us would be saved. He came to seek and he came to save that which was lost. And how many know this morning that we are all lost without Jesus Christ? We need Jesus. Thank God he came. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is presented in the book of Luke as the compassionate Son of God. God came to live among sinners. Imagine to love them, to help them, to lay down his life for them. In this particular gospel, the gospel of Luke, we meet individuals, we meet crowds, we meet women and children, men, the rich, the famous, the simple, the not so famous, sinners along with saints. The book of Luke is a book with a message for everybody. In fact, Luke 2.10 says, it is a book that brings good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Say all people with me, please. All people. All people need Jesus. Now someone say, well, you know, they have their religion. Well, they may have their religion, but they need Jesus because Jesus is for all people. Now the gospel of Luke is written, as you might imagine, by a man by the name of Luke. We call him Dr. Luke because that's what he was. He was a physician, trained physician, but he became an evangelist. He is mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 and 2 Timothy 4, also in Philemon 24. But he was the most prolific New Testament writer outside of the Apostle Paul. In fact, credited to him from the book of Luke and the book of Acts is one-third of the New Testament. You would imagine that a physician would be a very detailed person, and it's unique that maybe that's why he began his account with a detailed description of the birth of John the Baptist as well as the birth of Christ. Luke wrote with the mind of a careful historian. The wisdom of a systematic theologian and the heart of a caring physician. And I can't think of a better topic in these holy days than the early life of Christ from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to see that his life is from the cradle to the crown. Last week, our first message, an unquestionable record, and today, an unbelievable reveal. I'm sure looking forward to Thanksgiving, aren't you? Here's a list of things that one middle-aged mom was most thankful for. For automatic dishwashers, because they make it possible for us to get out of the kitchen just in time for the family to come back for their after-dinner snack. For husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house, because they usually make them big enough to then call in the professionals, thank the Lord. For children who put away their things and clean up after themselves, they're such a joy you hate to see them go home to their own parents. <laughs> Thankful for teenagers because they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. And thank the Lord for smoke alarms because they let you know when the turkey's done. <laughs> well, it's good to hear you chuckle this morning. Did you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength? And so I hope you'll just sit back today and relax 
and let go of the week's ups and let go of the downs for sure. Let your heart be encouraged. Just let everything go for a few minutes and would you take in this message because the life of Christ is here for our benefit and for our mutual strength. And so would you join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this great message, this great truth, Lord. I pray that you'll bless the message, bless our time together. In Christ's name. There's a lot to cover this morning, a lot of verses, so I hope that you'll listen quick. The Gospel of Luke is a unique book in that it's a historical book, but it's also a theological narrative. And uniquely, it's actually an epistle, that means a letter. It was actually written to somebody by the name of Theophilus, we're told in the first few verses there. Theophilus, what a great name. Theo means God. It comes from the word Theo and Phileo, which means a Greek term for love. So he was a God lover. Maybe he had believing parents. Most think, however, he was a Roman official who had trusted Christ. And he was hungry to grow in Christ. Grow in the Lord. Are you growing in the Lord? You know, growing in the Lord is so important. I am not what I might be, someone said. I'm not what I ought to be. Not what I wish to be, uh, not what I hope to be, but thank God I am not what I used to be. And I hope that's the case for all of us, that we're not what we used to be. The apostle said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Theophilus was a seeker. He was a seeker after real truth. And so Luke knew this, and he said, okay, I'm going to have to write this guy a letter. And he writes him this amazing letter, this pastor Paul writes this God lover a letter. It's the most amazing letter ever. Wise people seek truth. The great Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle said of the first seekers of truth, the Magi, the wise men, we really read of no greater faith in all of the Bible than the wise men. They need to be put right next to the greatest. The wise men saw a newborn babe on the lap of a poor woman, and yet they worshiped him and confessed him that he was Christ. Are you a seeker today? Are you a wise person? I hope you are. Two decades after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord, as it states in verse 1 of Luke chapter 1 and verse 1, the hot topic of the day was Jesus. Look what it says in verse 1. Many people. So this is two decades, maybe three decades after the time of Christ. Three decades later, the message of Christ hadn't dissipated. In fact, it was going strong. Everybody was talking about Jesus. They were singing about Jesus. There was quotes about Jesus. There was art about Jesus. There were books about Jesus. In fact, even Luke even declares that. He said they've taken forth to make a declaration. People were writing about Jesus. And it's true. The life of Christ was so impacting that many people were declaring him. Well, the Holy Spirit spoke to this evangelist, this doctor turned a man of God, and he said, Luke, um, you're going to write the history of Christ in a very unique way. Each of the Gospels takes a little different view of Christ, and because each of the witnesses have a different view, it actually is tremendous corroborating evidence that they didn't know and they didn't write after each other. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 21, it says, 
God spoke to holy men of God, and he gave them, he moved them by the Holy Spirit. And so that was Luke. He was one of those holy men of God. So God let him take these eyewitness accounts of who Christ was, what he did, the things that he heard, and then gave him unique information and put it all together and codified it in something known as the book of Luke. The book of Luke is carefully researched material, and it has been guided by the Holy Spirit to give us exactly what we need. It tells us of God's wonderful news, how that Christ came for different people and how that they responded to the gospel. He begins with a faithful, albeit imperfect, man of God by the name of Zacharias. And we get an intro into John the Baptist as well. We're going to try to get through verse 25, the Lord willing. And so I want you to notice four things about this wonderful brother in Christ by the name of Zacharias, a pastor, a preacher, a priest. Number one, he was a devoted minister, verses 5 through 7. And so God chooses to give this reveal of his son through this humble priest by the name of Zacharias. It was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. It was indeed a dark day for the nation of Israel in the days of Herod. 400 years earlier, in the days of the mighty Old Testament prophet Malachi, he declared in chapter 4 and verse 2 that the son of righteousness is coming. These dark days, these days of captivity are going to be over. Years went by, decades went by, several centuries went by, but who would this son be and where was this light of the world? There had been really no prophet. There had been those who had believed the word and there had been good things done, but really no prophet from Malachi to the book of Matthew and Luke and John. That's 400 years, really. What a, what a dearth, what a dark time. If you've ever been out of church for a little while, and you're used to going to church, you maybe you got sick or something and you couldn't go, and you know what I'm talking about. It's terrible. You feel like you're just shriveling up on the inside. That's what was going on, not just for a few weeks, but for decades and hundreds of years. And so when Malachi said there was coming someone that was righteous, a son, and it would arise and be a blessing to a world. He was talking about the Messiah, the Christ. That is the Greek word for Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Savior of Israel, His chosen people. And that's how the Old Testament ends. But there was going to come a son who was going to rise. That's why one of the epistles calls him the day star, because he arises and he shatters the darkness. That's the Messiah. Well, how will we know when this son of righteousness is the right one. How do we know that it's really the Messiah? Because he's going to be preceded by a forerunner. There's going to be a unique vessel that is going to make the announcement. Who's going to be the big revealer of the arrival of the Messiah? A unique predecessor who is going to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. Look at Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming in the great dreadful day of the Lord. By the way, just a footnote there, that is also speaking about, more than likely, 
a day during the tribulation period of these two witnesses. But this is a this has a double meaning. And this is talking about the first coming and the second coming. Verse 6, and he shall turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the heart of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We sing that wonderful chorus, one of my favorite choruses. These are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord, righteousness being restored. And these, through these days of great trials, of famine and darkness, of sword, still we are the voice in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And so it was a dark day, but there was coming a forerunner, a revealer of the birth of Christ, and he was coming in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And so at the time of this day, the spiritual leaders of the day were overwhelmingly shackled by tradition. And sadly, at the time that Christ was born, religion had just gotten crazy and corrupt even. If they live today, they may be like those that we've seen today. I read recently about a wacky minister of Allendale United Methodist Church in Florida who recently invited a drag queen to his church so he could teach the children's sermon. Well, that's the kind of thing that might have taken place in the time of Christ if they had such a thing. But Zacharias was called of God in the dark days of King Herod. Herod. Who was this man, Herod? And why does God mention it? Because Herod was one piece of work, I will tell you. He was actually a Middle Eastern provincial ruler under Rome. Herod. It's actually called Herod the First or Herod the Great. History actually has much about this man. He was a bona fide tyrant. Very capable leader, actually, but personally he was cruel and merciless and vicious, beyond description, completely suspicious of everybody. Here's a couple of quick stories about the man. On a trumped-up charge, he had an enemy. The Jewish high priest, Aristobulus, drowned. And then in a related matter, his wife's brother ticked him off, killed him too. And then his wife said something about it, and he killed her. And then, you know, mother-in-laws can be a trouble, and so... He killed her as well. And then fearing that his sons would let out the truth, he killed two of them. That is Herod the Great. Yikes, with friends and family like that, man, who needs enemies, I'll tell you. He was a dark, evil man. And then, of course, the most horrifying thing he ever did, you've probably heard of. And that is when he received news that there would be a king born in Bethlehem, he issued a order to kill all male children in Bethlehem and all the surroundings from two years old and under. The idea was he would kill anybody who might be a future threat to his throne. That's Herod. That is bad. That's some dark days to be sure. But no matter how dark the days are, God always has a devoted people. You'd say these are terrible days in the world today. They are. But friends, there are still obedient people who are still serving the Lord. Don't you believe all these things? Oh, everything's getting bad. Folks, I'm telling you what, God's people will keep on going better than ever. We just keep it on. Verse number five, and there was in the days of Herod, king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias. Center stage in the early life of Christ was a faithful, devoted priest. Now, that's just a term for a religious leader, a pastor. It would mean he was a part of the Roman church. The Holy Spirit calls him a certain priest. 
Now, I suppose if you and I could choose our own adjective, we might choose something more than certain. <laughs> but he was just a certain priest. There were thousands of priests. I mean, you can't have too many pastors, right? But he was a Levite, and it says specifically he was from the family of Abiah, or Abijah. And uh, now if I had uh, said something about a priest, I might say, well, a brilliant priest or a wonderful priest. Or if I wanted to describe myself, I might say a, a muscular pastor or a handsome pastor and humble as well. But undistinguished uh, then, he was. He just was just a normal guy. But, you know, isn't it wonderful that he served God in the midst of the dark days of Herod? He still served God. Everybody is a minister. Did you know that? We may not be a pastor or that kind of a calling, but everybody is made to minister God. Every one of us are to get the good word out. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. What are we created for? We're created in Christ. When Christ comes in us, then we're created for good works. You know what? Well, we can all make a difference. I got this little signboard here. Thank you for putting that up here. Now, I think anybody can do this, right? We can just serve the Lord. We can just get a word out there. Just put the word out. And you know, it's amazing what a difference something like that would make. I was just talking with a dear lady before the service here, and she was saying, well, I came because somebody put some little tickets for last Christmas's theatrical production at a restaurant I go to. And she said, I've been coming recently. She said, I figured that was a church that was open to new members. I said, you bet you. Well, I'm telling you, I'm so glad. And somebody took the time to grab some tickets and just get the word out. Folks, we are created unto good works like Zacharias in the midst of a dark world when there's a Herod up there. You know what? We're still to serve God. Zacharias' name, God remembers. And that was one of the things that the Jews so we're grateful for that God remembered. Yes, they were dark days, but a light was coming. His wife, name was Elizabeth. God is my oath, or my God is faithful. Isn't that great to have a name like my God is faithful? Elizabeth, E-L, is God in the Hebrew language. Elizabeth, my God is faithful. The point is, John the Baptist, who was born to these dear couple, had a faithful heritage, a dad who served the Lord in the midst of the dark days, a mom who was faithful. They weren't rhinos, right? They weren't rhinos, religious in name only. They weren't rhinos. No, they weren't. Verse number six, and they were both righteous before God. They were both righteous before God. Thomas A. Kempis said, what thou art in the sight of God, that." Thou truly art. They walked in the gar the commandments of the ordinance of the Lord blameless. They were righteous. They didn't blame the world for saying, well, this is why I'm so bad, because look how bad the world is, yes. They knew they needed God like everybody else, but it says they were righteous. Now, how do we become righteous? Well, there's a practical righteousness, which means, as it says here, you follow Bible the best you can with the Holy Spirit's help. Then there is a positional righteousness which comes when the day when we say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own. And we bow the knee 
and say, Jesus, come into my heart and make me righteous. And the Bible says, by His good grace, He makes us righteous. They were faithful. They were faithful. Someone visited Mother Teresa's house of dying in Calcutta, where sick children were cared for in their last days. They were overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of their suffering, these children. And they said to her, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? And she said to them, friend, I'm not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. And that's what Zacharias said. And that's what Elizabeth said. They said, I don't care what Herod's doing or anybody else. I tell you one thing. I am going to be faithful. The only thing was, Zacharias and Elizabeth had a grief in their heart. Not because of anything bad they had done. But they had no children. And they had made that a constant matter of prayer. And so... They uh, then uh, were wondering, what would God do? And they were hoping that God would give them a child, but they just kept serving the Lord. Verse number 7 says that they were well stricken in years. Commentaries say that that could have ranged anywhere from 50, which was kind of the time when people were considered somewhat older, and the time when you could minister in the temple, Muslim commentators say that that was, she was probably 90. Whatever the case, between 50 and 90, they were older. They were, humanly speaking, the fact of having children was probably hopeless or at least next to. And that's exactly where God likes it. He likes things that are impossible. And then you know what happened? God answered their prayer. He did give them a child, not just a child. He gave them a son, and not only a son, he gave them a preacher for a son. They, I'm sure, were feeling what was going to happen. Well, uh, this beautiful time of serving the Lord was interrupted by this amazing reveal of God. And that's where we find, uh, sadly, uh, for a moment, he kind of loses his, his, uh, his bearings and he becomes a debilitated minister. Verses 8, to 8 through 17. And it's a fact, sometimes good people can fall prey to the weakness of doubt. Look at verse 8, and it came to pass, and it came to pass. By the way, that's a great truth, actually, and I think everybody ought to say amen to that one, that it came to pass. God doesn't do anything by chance. He doesn't roll the dice. It says, when it says it came to pass, it means God made it come to pass. That's what it means. That while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, and again, I remind you that even though it was a dark day, and even though he and his wife were disappointed, they didn't have any children, and that was very unusual in that day when children, uh, most families were quite large, and uh, that didn't keep him from serving God. He said, I'm going to serve God regardless. He didn't say, he didn't say, oh, I'm so bitter. God has not been good to me. No, he said, I'm going to keep serving God. Then verse 9, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. This was a very unique moment. Many priests didn't ever get a chance to burn incense in the holy place, but they were chosen by lot. He got his lot, came up. It was an amazing moment to go in there. Only one could go in, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So there were hundreds, maybe several thousand people outside the holy place. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And that's when Zechariah saw him. And he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Well, 
The incense that was offered in the tabernacle was uh, a, something that happened in the morning around 9, in the afternoon, the evening around 3. Zechariah, this was probably around 3 o'clock. And uh, here he was serving the Lord. By the way, just a footnote, isn't it interesting how many times in the Bible that God picks people who are busy serving? He uses people that are already serving. You know, Moses and David were caring for their sheep, and Gideon was threshing wheat, but they were diligent. Well, notice what it says, that an angel appeared right next to the altar. Now, Revelation 5 says there are innumerable angels. We only have two names of angels in the Bible. Now, we are told of fallen angels and unfallen angels. Sometimes the unfallen angels are called holy or elect angels. But the two angels that are named are Michael, who's called an archangel, and Daniel in Revelation, and then Gabriel, who is this one. He's a messenger, which is also mentioned in Daniel, as well as here in this chapter. He appeared by the altar, a real angel in the form of a man. Zacharias was frightened. He'd say, what a sissy. Man, if I saw an angel, I'd be so excited. Folks, if you saw an angel, you and I both would be down on our face because an angel could mean judgment day. I mean, and so the drama of the moment is amazing. So here's the deal. Hundreds of people are outside in the courtyard. The priest, Zacharias, gets this once-in-a-lifetime chance to go into the holy place and burn incense. I mean, the incense was wafting up. People could see it. The air was thick with anticipation. The Levites, the singing Levites, were there ready with their trumpets and ready to sing. I mean, this was a great moment. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, folks, this is not just a normal moment. This is, this is the moment of moments. This is the reveal. God has finally changed this direction. For the last 400 years, God has not spoken openly. And this was no vision. This was an angel. And so he sees this angel. What's his first reaction? I'm toast. I'm, I'm a goner, I'm sure. But like Ezekiel, he probably fell on his face. And who, in chapter 1 of Ezekiel, he just didn't know what was about ready to happen. But this wasn't judgment day. This was baby day. God was going to tell him he's going to have a baby. Oh, my goodness. Verse 13, and the angel said unto him, fear not. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, almost every time an angel speaks to a human, that's the first thing they say, fear not. They've had to learn to do that because humans are always afraid when they see an angel. Fear not, Zacharias, because thy prayer is heard. <laughs> Honestly, I, humanity, I suspect that Zacharias and Elizabeth had long since forgot praying about having a child. I mean, really? They're 50, at least 50, probably 60 or 70. I suspect that they probably didn't even ever pray anymore that they were going to have a child. But you know what's interesting about prayers? They don't just like evaporate. God writes them down. And he, he cares for those things. He, he watches over them. He may not give them for whatever reason, and this is a perfect point of that. He didn't give it when they wanted it because he was doing something. And he says, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to bear a son. And his name is going to be John. By the way, God cares about the name of our children. Good thing to ask him. I want you to know his name is going to be John. He says specifically, your prayer has been heard. 
scholars say that that little phrase there means your, your long-standing petition. So you've prayed for it for years, and you may not think I was listening, but I was. And then God confirmed his name, John, which means Jehovah is gracious. I'm always amazed when I see a rainbow. A couple of weeks ago on a bright sunny day, some rain showers came through. I looked up there and all of a sudden there was two rainbows. I was so amazed. Did you know that a rainbow is God's sign to Noah of grace? And every once in a while he does a double rainbow or triple one just to say, I'm the God of double grace or triple grace. Verse 14, and thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth. Children bring joy. Why not? What a blessing to have children in this world. Pauline and I had the joy this week of holding little Haven Grace Beavis, our newest great-grandbaby. It is hard to even describe the feeling of joy as you're holding that little baby. That is God's gift. Well, it's going to be great joy. Verse 15, he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. But there's going to be something about his life I want you to take note of. He'll neither drink wine or strong drink. By the way, that's typical of someone who serves the Lord in the temple. And uh, the Proverbs says, not for kings. And he should be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. <laughs> Babies minister, even from the womb. And I will tell you, Babies can minister for sure. But what a privilege it is to have these precious little ones in our lives. But they were given by God this amazing story that they were going to have this child, a son, and he was going to have this unique lifestyle. He was going to have a permanent Nazarite vow. Now normally, Numbers chapter 6 talks about these particular vows. It's like a it's like fasting for a week or a few weeks or a month or so. Different things you could do, like not take the fruit of a vine of a, uh, a grape, and never touch a body. You'd let your hair grow, and then you'd shave it off, things like that. Uh, just different things as symbols, kind of like baptism. We're going to have a beautiful baptism here in a moment. It's just a symbol. That's what these Nazarite vows were about. Typically, they were temporary. But in this case, it would be a lifetime Nazarite vow symbolical of the fact that he was lifetime dedicated to God. And it says that God filled him with the Holy Spirit in the womb. He would be filled from the Holy Spirit in the womb. There's a couple things about that that's totally interesting. First of all, he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he got saved. That's interesting. Number two, he was filled from the with the Holy Spirit when he was still in the womb, when he was a just a baby. I mean, who knows how long? It could have been just in a few weeks. Folks, just so you know, again, there is no way that abortion can be right. Because if a Holy Spirit can fill a baby before they're even formed or in the womb, you know that Holy Spirit is in that baby. Don't ever imagine and don't accept any of these People who would validate that. No way. Verse 16, let's move on. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias. It means Elijah. 
He'd be like a mighty man of God, Old Testament. And he'd turn to the hearts of the fathers to their children. By the way, when people get right with God, there's a revival in the home. There's a revival in the marriages. And that's what Israel needed. Homes were divided. Families were divided. It was terrible. And John the baptizer was going to come in the power of Elijah, filled with the Holy Spirit. He was a mighty man of God. And he would preach wisdom and make a people prepared for the Lord. And it says he would turn them to the Lord. That just means converted. He would do his part to convert people. He was a changer. Now, I know people say, oh, you shouldn't change people. But we need to be changed, bless God. Come on now. Why was John the Baptist great? Four reasons. Number one, he was filled. He was filled. He was anointed and controlled by the Holy Ghost. Number two, John the Baptist was faithful. He was faithful. He, from childhood, he followed Scripture, never wavered. Number three, he was fearless. Fearless. He didn't care what anybody said. He was preaching the Word. He was, a, he was be willing to be one voice crying in the wilderness. But he didn't just make a, you know, a big uh, mess of things. He was fruitful. Number four, he turned many to the Lord. And by the way, a footnote here, he was a humble man of God. He said about Jesus, he said, I'm not even willing to stoop down and latch his sandals. He stands certainly as a pander, a pattern for all those who would serve the Lord. Well, not only was he devoted, but he got a little doubtful and he was debilitated. And then he became deceived. Number three, verses 18 through 22. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Where shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is stricken in years. And the angel said unto him, I'm Gabriel. You're standing, I stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to tell you these glad tidings. And behold. By the way, whenever God says behold in the Bible, that's like a LED sign saying what follows next is big stuff. You better listen. You shall be dumb. Well, I won't even talk about that, but you'd not be able to speak. That means he wasn't going to be able to, to uh, get the word out until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. I like what Elizabeth Barrett Browning said. She said, a person that doesn't have faith shouldn't speak. Be silent. If you're not going to speak in faith, then don't talk. <laughs> I like it. Well, that's basically what the angel said to Zacharias. Now, let me just point out, Zacharias was not unbelieving. He was doubtful. That, there's a difference. A doubting person just says, look, I'm human. This, this thing is too much for my brain. An unbeliever gets it but says, I'm not accepting it. That's the difference. That's why the book of Revelation says he sends unbelievers to hell because they choose not to believe. It's not that they can't believe. They choose not to. That's the difference between Zacharias. He was, he was had his doubts. But, so verse 21, the people are waiting for Zacharias. And they're marveling. Why is he spending so long in there? What's he doing in there? So he finishes burning the incense. Finally, he comes out of the doors. They're waiting. Hundreds of people are in the courtyard. They're there with those big silver trumpets, ready to blow them. The singers are all ready. And that's the way they would do it. The people would let out a shout. The, they would sing, they would blow the trumpets, and then the priest who had been inside would raise his hands, and he would give the blessing, based on Numbers chapter 6. 
Zacharias comes out. They're waiting. It'd be like me standing up here and just going. They're all waiting. Okay, come on. Come on. Come on, Zechariah. And he couldn't say a word. And this was the first known instance of charades. He gets up there and he begins to act it out. He begins to say, okay, here's how we're going to. And he points out up there the angel. And I don't know what he did, but he was up there just going for it. Verse 22, he could not speak to them. And they perceived he'd seen a vision. Well, what do we learn from this great message here? I will point out that um, Zechariah was not uh, sinful in his doubt, but God judged that lack of faith, doubt. Faith sees the way, doubt sees the darkest night. Faith sees the day, doubt dreads to take a step. Faith soars on high, doubt questions who believes, faith answers that's where we'll finish tonight. I don't, this morning, a devoted minister, a, debil- a debilitated minister, a deceived minister, but thank God he was an appointed minister, a designated minister. He had a difficult time completing his, his ministry that day. I mean, the rigors of doing all that and then not being able to talk, I mean, it, he was also just so excited that the angel had told him he was going to have a baby. So verse 23, he goes back and tells his wife. Verse 23, it comes to the pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own country. Later on in the chapter, it says he lived in the hill country. So he went back to his little ranch there in the hill, not a big place. He goes to his wife, bursts into the home, and he hands her a note. She's like, she reads the note. It says, we're going to have a baby. She picks herself off the ground. and uh, Or maybe she said, yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, she's already pregnant. I don't know. But whatever the case was, they both believed the word of Gabriel. And she did conceive. You know, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Well, she was blessed, so blessed. But being as old as she was and being pregnant, she kind of thought that maybe perhaps everybody would just be gawking at her all the time, be like a big zoo, a circus or something. And so she decides to keep a low profile, verse 24. And after those days when Elizabeth conceived, she hid herself for five months saying, thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach. My thought is that she just kind of did some spiritual nesting, as it were. She pulled away from the spiritual or from the lady sewing circle for a bit from her Jerusalem jig exercise class. Nothing wrong with all that. She just knew she had something different to do. And so she spent her time in the Word and prayer, focused on her family, building her time with the Lord. I'm sure she was faithful to God. But these were exciting days indeed. He knew that God had chosen him. He was a designated minister of God. And you also are designated, and so am I. One of the things that I like to remind people of is the three B's in the Christian life. 
And the three B's are, first is believe. Just believe on the Lord. Believe is where it all begins. Believe on Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. The old English says you will be saved. Believe. Believe just means to rely. It just means to, like sitting on a chair, just to rely on that chair. Believe. And then the second thing is to be baptized. Second B, be baptized. Everybody needs to be baptized by immersion. Now maybe you were baptized as a baby where you were sprinkled or poured on. And uh, whatever good came from that or beautiful thing for your family, nothing is as important as a great picture of the faith that you have is that you get baptized by immersion. It is a tremendous reminder and that moment when you say, I'm unashamed of Jesus, and you put yourself all in to believe, to be baptized, and then to belong, to become an actual member of a local New Testament church. Those three things are the greatest things to, I think, show that I receive it, Lord. I know I'm a minister like Zechariah. I've been designated for a job, and I'm going to go out and be God's signboard. I'm going to go out there and give the good news. Now, you want to take one of these and just stand That's all right. Or you can take some tracks and little tickets and put them here and there. But all of us are like Zacharias. We may not be some fancy person, but we can do what we can do. In the midst of the days of Herod, let's all do our part. Our heads are bowed and our eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.